We have learned that a Matsuira, somebody who had Saras and is being purified, he needs to bring three different carbonis, sacrifices. One is a carbon Osham, and that is a male sheep, regardless of how wealthy or poor the Matsuira is. And the other two carbonis are a carbon Chatos and a carbon Oila. And these depend on the person's wealth. If the Matsuira is wealthy, then they come from female sheep. But if the Matsura is poor, then he is able to bring two birds instead. A bird carbon chathos and a bird carbon oila. The last three Mishnais of the Masechta discuss the differences between a wealthy person and a poor person, and according to what time this is defined. And the Mishnah begins, Matsura Shahivi Karbonoi Oni, a Matsura who bought his carbon with a poor man's carbon, meaning he bought two birds and one male sheep. Or at least he began the process of bringing the poor man's carbon. For example, he bought just the carbon chatos, and he used a bird for that. And then the hersher, he became more wealthy before he completed all three of the carbonis. Or if he became wealthy after he bought all of the carbonis, or if he began a wealthy man and he bought some or all of the carbonis. And then the herni, he became poorer. The mission says, chatos. Everything follows the status of the person at the time that he bought the carbon chatos. Did Rabbi Shimon, that's the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. Such that if when he bought the carbon chatos, he was poor and therefore he bought a bird, even if before he manages to bring the carbon oila, he becomes more wealthy, he is only obligated to bring a bird as the carbon oila. His status is defined according to one crucial moment, and according to Rabbi Shimon, that is the moment where he bought the carbon chatos. And all the more so if he has already bought all of the three carbonis and then he became wealthy or then he became poor, there is no need to go back and bring the carbonis again. Rabbi Yehuda, in Rabbi Yehuda says, Achar Osham, the crucial moment that everything follows and is decided upon is the time that he brings the carbon Osham. And the reason for Rabbi Yehuda is because the main carbon out of the three carbonis, in terms of the procedure that the Mitzvah goes through, is the carbon Osham. As we learned extensively, the blood of that carbon would be placed on the different parts of the body of the Mitzvah, and as well as that, it's also the first carbon that is brought. They would offer that up before the carbon chatas and the carbon oila. And therefore it makes sense that that is the first of the three carbonis, so that is the one that defines his status. Rabbi Shimon argues, and his logic is that the carbon osham is the same animal for everybody. It's always a male sheep, whether the person is wealthy or poor. So it doesn't make sense to define the person's status based on how wealthy he was at that time. Because the level of his wealth at the time that he's bringing the carbon osham is not relevant... And therefore, the carbon chatos, which is the next carbon to be bought, that is the one that defines his status with regards to his obligation for which type of carbon to bring for both the carbon chatos and the carbon oila. Mission base. Although a poor person is able to bring two birds instead of two female sheep, as the carbon chatos and the carbon oila, nevertheless, certainly Mitzayra Oni Shehevi carbon osher, if a poor Mitzayra bought a wealthy man's carbon, he bought two sheep instead of two birds, certainly Yotza he has fulfilled his obligation, and to the contrary, it's considered to be praiseworthy that he is willing to bring a more expensive carbon, even if, according to his wealth, he would be able to bring a cheaper, smaller carbon. On the other hand, the Osher Shehevi Karban Oni, a wealthy man who bought a poor man's carbon, he bought birds instead of sheep, Lo Yotzoya has not fulfilled his obligation because he didn't bring enough. He needs to bring sheep, so to offer up something smaller and cheaper than that is not sufficient.
That having been said, if somebody is bringing a carbon on behalf of a different person, then even if he himself is wealthy, the type of carbon that needs to be brought goes according to the person who is obligated to bring that carbon. And therefore, maybe Adam Aide Benoi Aide Bitoi Aide Abdevishifchosai Carbon Oni, a person, even if he is wealthy, is able to bring on behalf of his son or his daughter or his male or female slave. If they become obligated to bring a carbon, he is able to bring a poor man's carbon on their behalf, as long as they them, they are poor. Even though he's the one bringing the carbon, since he's doing it on their behalf, the entire obligation only reaches the level of a poor man's carbon. And this is fully valid, such that if the carbon that they were apt to bring was the thing that was preventing them from being able to eat carbon ice or from entering into the base Hamikdash, for example, if his daughter gave birth, until she brings her carbon, she's forbidden to do those two things. Once her father brings the carbon on her behalf, it's considered to be entirely valid, even if the father is wealthy, and he brings a poor person's carbon on behalf of his daughter who is poor. It's fully valid, even to the extent that it allows her, or the other people mentioned, to eat carbonis. And likewise, although the mission doesn't mention it, it would also allow them to enter into the Beis Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yehuda says, with regards to the main law that the Mishnah has taught that a wealthy person must bring a wealthy man's carbon on behalf of himself, and he can't bring a poor man's carbon, according to Rabbi Yehuda, even when one brings a carbon on behalf of his wife, if he is wealthy, he must bring a wealthy carbon on her behalf. Even if she herself is technically speaking poor, since it is his obligation to provide for her carbonis, and as well as that, there is a rule that ishtoi kagufoi, a person's wife is considered to be like himself, like his own body, to the extent that over here we have a halakhic ramification of that. That when he provides for her carbonis, if he is wealthy, he must provide her with enough to bring a carbon of a wealthy person. Now, Yehuda is talking about the carbonis of Imetsoira, if his wife, for example, had Sara'as, just because that's the topic of this peric, this mesechta, but he adds that kol carbon the same applies to any carbon that she becomes obligated to bring. He must provide for her with a wealthy man's carbon. If there are two wealthy mitzayroim, people who had saras and they are becoming pure, and their carbonis got mixed up together, and we're going to understand the mission is talking about specifically their carbonis chatos, and Korav Korbonis al one of their Korbonis already was offered up, and that was valid for whoever is the owner of that carbon. Umeis Echad Mehen, and meanwhile, one of the Tumitsuroim has died. And the issue over here is that a Korban Chatos can only be brought on behalf of somebody who is still alive. The purpose of the Chatos is to bring an atonement for somebody, and that's only relevant as long as the owner is still alive. And as well as that, it's forbidden to bring a Korban Chatos out of doubt. Only if one is certainly obligated to bring a Korban Chatos, may he bring it in the Beis Hamikdash. Otherwise, he could be slaughtering an animal that's not a Korban at all in the Beis Hamikdash, and that's forbidden. Now, since one of the two people has died... Only one of them is alive. We're not able to offer up the second carbon in case that's the dead person's carbon. As well as that, the person who is still alive cannot just separate another animal to bring that as a carbon chatos in case the animal that was already offered up was his. In which case, he's no longer obligated to bring carbon chatos, so his obligation is only doubtful, and he can't bring a carbon chatos out of doubt. So what should be done over here? This is one of the questions that the residents of Alexandria asked Rabbi Yeshua, and Omar Lohem, he replied to them that I have a solution. 
because although it's true that one is not allowed to offer up a korban chatos out of doubt, it is learned from Psukim that one is able to offer up a bird korban chatos even in case of doubt. And therefore, we've got a simple solution. The Metzorah who is still alive should write a document giving over all of his possessions to somebody else, somebody who he trusts that he'll end up giving it back to him later on. And as soon as he does that, he's considered to be a poor man. If he's poor, that means that the carbon chathos that he's obligated to bring is a bird carbon chathos. And although it's only a doubt whether he's obligated to bring that, because it could be that he already offered up his carbon chathos, that's not a problem because a bird carbon chathos, which is the carbon that a poor man brings, can be offered even in a case of a possible obligation. The Yavi Karban Oni, so the Mishnah says he should bring the carbon of a poor man, the bird carbon chathos, and then the other person should give back his possessions to that person. And even though he becomes wealthy again as soon as he receives his possessions again, since he's already bought the carbon, he would not become obligated again as soon as he becomes wealthy. So that's the solution that Rabbi Yeshua suggested. Solik Maseches Negoi Mazeltov. We begin Maseches Para. Para means a cow, and the subject of this Masechta is the Para Aduma, the entirely red cow that the Torah prescribes as the part of the purification procedure for somebody who has become Tomei from a dead body. A dead body is the most severe source of impurity that exists. It's called an avi avisatuma, which literally means the father of fathers of impurity. And somebody who becomes tome directly from the dead body is called an avhatuma, a father, primary level of impurity. And although that person is able to make other people tome, anybody who touches that person will also become tome, but they become tome on a lower level. They would not require the, this as part of the purification procedure. All they would need to do is go to the mikvah, which is dipping themselves in a collection of natural water, and that night they would become fully pure. However, the first person and any item that becomes Tommy directly from a dead body, in order for them to become purified from their level of avhatuma, their primary level of impurity, they need to be sprinkled with a solution of natural water that comes from a spring and the ashes of a pora aduma of this entirely red cow. The earliest time that they are able to do this is the third day after they have become Tomei. They can be sprinkled with this solution. And then four days later, which if they manage to get sprinkled on the third day since they became Tomei, then it would be the seventh day. On the seventh day, they would be sprinkled with this solution again. And then they are able to go to the mikvah, and that night they would become fully pure. Now, not just any cow can be used, but specifically a Pura'aduma, which is a, re- a cow that is totally red, so much so that even two hairs on the cow that are not red could be enough to disqualify and invalidate that cow from being used for the sake of the Pura'aduma. And such a cow is extremely rare, and according to many, only nine of these cows have ever been used in history, and the tenth will be in the times of Moshiach. It also must be that the cow has never worked before, it's never carried a yoke or a burden, that would also invalidate the cow from being used. And the procedure of slaughtering and then burning the Pura'aduma took place on Har Hazesim, which is the Mount of Olives, the mountain that stands opposite Har Habayis, which is the mountain on which the Beis Hamikdosh stands. And this already shows that the Pura'aduma is not like a regular carbon. Although it is an animal that is slaughtered, this is not as a sacrifice, but the ashes are used as part of the purification process of somebody who has become Tommy from a dead body. That having been said, the Torah calls the Pura'aduma a chatos, which is also the name of one of the carbonais, and because of that, we do learn many laws that apply to carbonais also to a Pura'aduma. 
As well as that, although this is not performed in the Beis Hamikdash, it's still considered to be a service which requires a koyen to carry it out, and the koyen must wear the regular clothes that a koyen is obligated to wear when performing the service inside of the Beis Hamikdash. Now, one of the glaring points which is going to be apparent from any of the Mishnayis is the extreme care that they took to avoid any possibility of the ashes of the Poradumo and the solution from becoming Tomei, becoming impure. There are a number of reasons for this, and partly it is actually a Torah requirement. The Torah says that one needs to guard the Poradumo from becoming Tomei, and because of that, the one who is involved in preparing it cannot perform any other tasks whilst in the middle of this. You must be totally focused on protecting and performing the service with the ashes and not focus on anything else. And apart from this, there are many rabbinic stringencies that also apply. And the reason for those stringencies is as follows. A tavul yoim refers to somebody who was tome and he has been to the mikveh in order to be, to be purified, but he only becomes fully pure once the nighttime arrives although the main impurity that he had has already been removed. And the law is that a Tavul Yoim is able to perform the service of the Paraduma. Since the level of his impurity is very low, he is able, he is fit to perform that service. However, there are certain heretics that mistakenly learnt out of Pesukim that this is not the case, and a Tavul Yoim is not fit to perform the service. In order to show that the heretics were wrong, the Chachomim wished that specifically somebody who had been Tomei and is now a Tavul Yoim, he should specifically be the one to perform the services of the Pora Aduma, of making these ashes, etc., in order to show that the heretics were wrong. However, there was a concern that if people see that they, a Tavul Yoim is always the one who is performing that service, they will come to be more lax in terms of the, imp- the, the purity of the Parat Adumar. They will stop to be totally precautious about anything coming near it, which could possibly make it impure. And to avoid that situation from occurring, the Chachomim instituted many other stringencies, some quite extreme in their nature, to avoid any impurity from coming to the Paraduma's ashes and the solution when it was mixed with the natural water. The Masechta opens up by talking about the cow itself that needs to be used. The Torah uses the term Pora, which is specifically an adult cow, and this is unlike another procedure described elsewhere in the Torah called Egla Arufa, when a murdered person is found outside of a city and it's unknown who the murderer was. There is an obligation on the residents of the nearest city to where the body was found to go through a whole procedure where they break the neck of a calf. Be as it may, there the term used by the Torah is Eglo Arufa. An Eglo is a baby cow, it's a calf. And the first Mishnah defines what is considered to be a child, a calf, and what is considered to be an adult cow. Rebeliezer, Rebeliezer says, Eglobas Shanosa, an Eglo is a cow in its first year, Upara, and a cow that needs to be used for the Pora Aduma, Bas Shtayim, is a cow in its second year. Vachachom Oimrim, whereas the Chachom say, Eglobas Shtayim, a calf is considered to be a cow even if it's in its second year, all the more so if it's in its first year, Upara, and a adult 
female cow is bas sholosh or bas arba is when the cow is in its third or fourth year, meaning when it is essentially two years old or three years old. Ayer Meir, Meir says we're going to read this af bas chomesh even when the animal, the, the cow, is in its fifth year, when it's four years old. And the reason for these various opinions is learnt from Pesukim. The question of the Mishnah now is what about a cow that is older than that? The Mishnah says Kashira has a kenar, a older cow is valid. If they used such a cow, it wouldn't necessarily be a problem. Elosh Imam Tinin law, but they would never wait that long until the cow got older. Shemotashir Shalotiposel, in case the hairs on the cow, or even two of the hairs, will turn black, and they won't be red, and that will invalidate the cow from being used. And in order that it wouldn't be invalidated, they would make sure to use the cow as soon as possible once it is old enough to be used as a para aduma. Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua said, I only heard the term shloshis when talking about the age that the para needs to be. I heard that it needs to be shloshis, which literally translated is a cow that has three. So in this context, it's going to mean a cow that has three years, which represents a fourth opinion. According to Yeshua, it should use, be used specifically when it is in its third year, and they shouldn't wait until it's in its fourth year. Because there's already a concern, according to Yeshua, that it might get invalidated. Omuloi, the Chachomim asked Yeshua, Ma'weloshin shloshis? What is this strange term that you used, shloshis? The normal term to refer to this animal is shlishis, something that is in its third year. Shloshis is an unusual grammatical way of saying it. Omar Lohem, Rabbi Yeshua replied to them, That's how I heard the law from my teachers without an explanation. Omar ben Azai ben Azai said, I'll explain the meaning behind this term. If you would say that it needs to be shlishis, the third one, that could be mistakenly understood as the third one, it's the third in number in relation to other cows. It could mean that it's the third cow to be born. You're talking about the cow being the third. But when you use the term shaloshis, you're talking about something that the cow itself has three. What does that mean? It has three years itself. The Mishnah continues with a similar example, which we find elsewhere. In a similar example, the Chachomim said, There is a law of that states that the fourth, the fruit that grow in the fourth year of a vineyard, and according to many... Any fruit tree, the fruit that grew in the fourth year, need to be brought up to Yerushalayim and eaten over there. They cannot be eaten in a regular way. And the term that is used across all of Shas for this concept is Kerem Revoi, the vineyard in its fourth year. But once again, the grammatical form of Revoi is unusual. So Omruloi, they asked Rabbi Yeshua, Mawaloshin Revoi, what is this strange term Revoi? It should have said Revi'i which is the normal way of saying the fourth. Omar Lohem, Rabbi Yeshua, said to them, that's the way that I heard the halacha, that I heard about this law from my teachers, and they didn't explain. Omar ben Azai, as I said, I'll explain. If you use the term revi'i, the fourth one, then once again, it could be mistakenly understood as meaning it's the fourth cow in, in number in relation to others. So I might perhaps learn that it needs to be the fourth field, the fourth vineyard that the person bought. It's his fourth vineyard. And, but when you use the term revoi, grammatically speaking, that is referring to the fourth something that the vineyard itself has. 
It's talking specifically about the vineyard, not in relation to other things. Ben Arbashonim. So that is certainly going to be interpreted as being the vineyard that is in its fourth year. And the Mishnah brings the third and final example, Kayetzive Omru. In a similar example, they said, the Chachom said, Ha'oichel Vaisamanuga, one who eats inside of a house that has tsaras on it. The law is that his clothes, not only does he become Tomei, but if he is there for enough time to eat a minimal meal, then his clothes also become Tomei. And a minimal meal is considered to be half a loaf of bread. And what size is the loaf? So the Chachamim said that it's pras, it's half a loaf, misholoish lakav. When three loaves are made from a cove of flour, which means that each loaf is essentially made up of a third of a cove of flour. So half a loaf is made up of a sixth of a cove. Omruloi, the Chachamim asked Rabbi Yeshua, emer mishwene esrilasa'ah. You should have said that the amount, the, the, the size of the loaf is such that 18 loaves would be made from a sa'ah of flour. So each loaf is an 18th of a sa'ah of flour. And the reason why they think that it's preferable to use that term is because a sa'ah is a measurement that is used by the Torah very often. And customarily, people would also use the sa'ah more often. So why did he use the measurement of a kav, which is less common? Omalohem, Rabbi Yeshua replied to them, Kashmatistam, that's why I heard the measurement given. That's why I heard it without an explanation. Omar ben Azai, ben Azai said once again, Ania Faresh, I'll explain. Im Oimer Lakav, if you use the measurement of three loaves being made from a kav of flour, in Boichalo, there is no obligation of chalor for such a small amount. Chalor refers to the portion of dough that one is obligated to separate and give to a koyen, but only if the person is making at least a kav and a quarter of dough is he obligated to separate part of that and give it to a koyen. So according to the measurement that the chachomim gave, indeed we're going to come out with an exact measurement of a each loaf being a third, using a third of a kav of flour. And there's no need to make a calculation once we minus off the amount that is separated for a koyen. But if you would have used the measurement of 18 loaves being made from a sa'ah of flour, so you're talking about a situation where somebody has made a lot of dough, which means that there's an obligation of separating part of that and giving it to a koyen, and you need to minus off the amount of chala that is separated for a koyen, and that would very much complicate the calculations. And therefore, the simplest way to put it is like the Chachamim said, that we're talking about a loaf that contains a third of a cove of flour.